Hey Jeremy. Hi Raf. What's going on? Um, yes, middle of the summer. How is Toronto? To, yeah, um, my last week here in Toronto. How's New York? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty good. It's uh it's like thirty degrees Celsius, twenty nine, which some summers it's thirty seven or something. But no one's dying from heat exhaustion. I keep hearing like stories of like people dropping dead while they work under extreme heat. Well, that's the best way to go. So I don't see a problem there. Right. Uh, but yeah. but uh, no, it's been nice. And then uh, early August we'll go to Long Island and uh, that's uh, nice. Try that for two weeks. Yeah. But uh, how it, the weather in Toronto is a little cooler. Um, yeah, it's like, um, Canada doesn't really get over 30 degrees very often, uh, for our American listeners, that would be like, yeah, 80 is kind of the max. It will sometimes go higher, but everyone freaks out. But what about Calgary? Calgary is about the same. It's a bit drier. It's much drier there. So it's less but humid. But you said so. the sun was very intense. Like you couldn't eat outside in the evening. Yeah. It's like, but I mean, you can. It's just like on our patio, the sun's like beating down on you and stuff. But um, do you just need an umbrella? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's true here too. Yeah. Um, But New York's, I would assume, very similar, if not more humid even than here. Is it, uh, do you miss Calgary while you're in Toronto? Um, I'm in a weird place because I've been packing up our apartment here to get it ready for rental. And that's like, like I just took out my old video cameras today. I was looking at the, you know, like you, you have, all, it's like you're packing your memories, but yeah, I don't know, you know how, how that works. Cause I don't have anything. Well, you do have a few things, I'm sure. No, you know. no, I don't like uh, your first mouse or something. Is that? No, <laughs> I don't keep old hardware. <laughs> if something new comes in, the old thing goes out. Mm, I have weird sentimental memories towards. I, I know that's why I'm teasing. technology. Yeah. yeah. No, but yeah. I, I really, uh, I feel like if we would move, I would have three moving boxes and the rest would be Christina. Hmm. Yeah. I took the uh, smart lock off my door. That was like, even, even that felt like. Well, <laughs> one tragic. thing is when you, when you've lived in a place for a long time and you empty it out, you see the structure and how uh, yeah. the, the walls really need a paint job and all mm-hmm. the scratches and all the, the, how it's been lived in and all the things that were hidden behind furniture and plants. And yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was scrubbing the patio. I had painters come in and they're, you know, look at everything. They're going to redo the whole place top to bottom. Oh, that'll be nice. For someone else. So, it, are you <laughs> renting it out indefinitely or are you keeping the summers open? We're going to do a one year lease, I think, to start and um, yeah. see how it goes. And yeah, we could always cancel it after a year if somehow we win the lottery or whatever. But it's, it's so different, your lifestyle in Calgary and Toronto. but which place do you have more fun? I was thinking about that this week because I was like, it, ta- it takes like two or three weeks to make plans here with anyone. <laughs> and then because they, they all live like, it's a much bigger place like New York, right? So it's like, oh, it's going to take me an hour to get into the city or oh, I've got to like find LA. babysitter for my kids. Yeah, that's and more so, LA. Like, New York is more like, hey, I'm here. You want to come over? Yeah, I would say that's how it, more like how it is for me in Calgary because okay. it's only 10 minutes to get anywhere. But here it's like an hour to get anywhere. And so oh, unless funny. my friends live right downtown where I live, um, they are. They, it's like I had so many yeah. people like cancel yeah. or bail on plans. It was like that's interesting. I would have thought the opposite. Yeah. Why? Because it, it's a 
Because you've lived I mean, in, in Toronto place. for so long and you have so many friends yeah. there, but I guess you your friends are all more settled down. Yeah, like everyone has kids and uh, careers. Certainly, yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I've seen li- people living, a few times, but living here in in downtown New York, all the people who have kids just leave, and then you're just left over with the weirdos, and you're like, okay, let's hang out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would prefer that. I think. Um, I think in Calgary, it's just that no one has anything better. There's no competition, and it's cheaper. Mm. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. here is a bit more of workaholic kind of uh, town. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, how is it for Kristen? Well, she's been in Europe this whole time, so oh. she's actually supposed to be back today. But her flight what from was Dublin, she doing she there? missed it. Just like hanging out, lounging around. Um, I mean, she was touring with her sister. She was kind of her first time back in Europe since she left school there. You know, more than ten years ago. So it would have been nice to join her, but I have like a I had to work, so she went with her sister. Um, where are they staying? Yeah, um, they've been all over Scotland, Ireland, okay. London. Yeah, yeah. But one thing that when your your part is significant others traveling and you're at home twiddling your thumbs trying to make plans with people who keep canceling, <laughs> you're like, why? What am I doing? <laughs> like, you know, mm. it's like you really. I really love my partner. I really love Kristen. I miss her. So um, I know you feel the same way about Christina, but you don't realize it until it's like the ge- geographic distance does matter, seemingly, right? Because it's not just time zones, but yeah, of course. And, and, casual and conversation. I, I think um, uh, it's whenever Christina leaves, it's kind of fun the first half of the day because I can play <laughs> annoying music and I'm not bothering anyone. Yeah. But then in the evening, it's like time to have dinner and you want to watch a movie and you want to. It gets really boring. Yeah. Do you ever get like kind of fraught with anxiety? Like, what do I even do with myself in that situation? <laughs> like, no, I'm so used to doing things with other people. I, no, but I, 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 like, I'm here in my building, and my good friend lives down the hall. So yeah, we have a pool in the building. So we went swimming together, and then we went for lunch, and then that's nice. Yesterday, I had drinks with someone in the evening. Tomorrow, I'm going to a movie with someone, and that's what mm. I was saying. It's there's a lot of. I always say it's good to have single friends like that are not committed to a family. So you can call yeah. them like two minutes before and be like, do you want to have a drink? And they're like, yes. Oh, yeah. They can't even have a partner. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have to strip them bare down to just like, yeah. pure, <laughs> like <laughs> consumable. They're like a song on Spotify. You click play and they're, they're playing. Yeah, it's great. I, have, I mean, but, we have a few couple friends who don't have kids. And it's funny because when we said we're not coming back we're renting the place here they're very upset because they're like but you're the only friends we have without kids that can actually do things mm. yeah <laughs> and i was like yeah well you you know come visit us <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah well that that come visit us I, I feel like most people have four weeks of vacation per year and then they're like oh mm. i really want to go to puerto rico one time or costa rica and Calgary. Yeah, it's mm. funny. My brother's very honest, and that's what he told me last night. I was like, "Well, you." I was like, "Realistically, would you come visit me?" And he's like, "Probably not." <laughs> I was like, "Why?" Well, that's and what I like, noticed because I don't have very much vacation time, and why would I spend it yeah. coming to visit you? And I'm I'm like, a oh. broken record. I'm always pro New York and all that stuff. But um, a couple of friends that moved away three hours, four hour drive from here, we would be like, "Yeah, we sh- you guys should come over. We have a really nice house and a guest room and all that stuff." And it just never happens. It's like, if we have four days off, maybe we want to go to Miami and swim in the warm ocean. And mm-hmm. Yeah. 
You said you're going to the movie. Or are you going to go see one of these Barbenheimer? Or I'm Barbenheimer? seeing Oppenheimer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 yeah, I would have. I'll see Barbie see on the airplane. I think that's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, are you gonna see it in seventy millimeter or whatever? I don't know. My friend was going, and he said, "Oh, should I get you a ticket?" And I was. Sure. I'm, I'm not the biggest Nolan fan, but I was like, oh, I, "I like going to the movies." Well, one thing's for sure: you won't understand what's going on. Like the sound will be totally muddled and impossible to hear. Like I feel like he over. Oh, you saw it? No, no. I, I don't even know if that's true. But every Nolan film, it's like the sound mix is terrible, in my opinion. Oh. Tell me if the sound I always mix think, is. so I've been listening to the uh, Quentin Tarantino podcast where he talks to another guy and they discuss B-movies and they, they go really in-depth in, in film technique. And this term that we never used, but there's a term in filmmaking, exposition, where mm-hmm. you have a story and you have to explain, like, in space, lasers travel further than in the atmosphere and then <laughs> you know like whatever yeah. and christopher nolan always has a lot of cheesy exposition so if you're in the dream but you're dreaming the other dream <laughs> yeah. your toenail gets hurt then you yeah. dream yeah. and uh, that always bothers me but we talked about christopher nolan being middle brow yeah i mean this is yeah. a biopic so it, it's going to be even more constrained in that way right because he's got to like get the facts straight um because yeah. it's based on a book um but well. I, I'm, I have a feeling it, someone said they saw Dunkirk and they didn't like Nolan's work, but they said that one was just a great cinematic experience. And I haven't seen it, it is. but... It uh, is. That's another one where the soundtrack literally hurt your... But head. isn't that like, the point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It you is. Think it's I'm accidental? just saying, I leave each of his movies with like hearing loss. <laughs> like, okay. There's no one like, who like amps yeah. the sound more than Chris Nolan. Did you see 1917? Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was like, I haven't seen Dunkirk, but I imagined that that was a way better Dunkirk, but I don't know if that's true. No, there's a scene in Dunkirk that um, s- cinematically and from a sound or sonar kind of like, I guess sound, what am I saying? Sound sure. Ridiculous. Yeah. But they're like inside the hull of a, of a ship and it's getting hit with bullets. And the sound is like, it feels like the bullets are hitting the side of your head. Yeah, yeah, it's, in it's, the it's a visceral experience. It's very visceral, yeah. Yeah. Which is um, funny. Like I always think humans are so weird. It's like, oh, yeah, I have a great life and a loving family. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to feel as much as possible like I'm being murdered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what I'm realizing as I'm getting older, though, is that, like, especially now after my eye injury, I'm like, yeah, I don't need to see that. <laughs> you know, <it's> like... <laughs> My, uh, I only my got own so many eye minutes left. Uh, yeah, exactly. I just want to look at pretty screensavers. <laughs> anyway, but I will probably see Oppenheimer. I, I I would love to see it on this new format. I think it's interesting though. Whenever it's usually like James Cameron or someone that has like some technical achievement, and that's the reason people go to see the movie. In this case, it seems to be that's just one of the reasons. But. Um, uh, you know, it's like blockbuster time of year, I guess. This is the, the July is like the biggest month in traditionally, but no one's going to the movies. Like, have you been in the movies recently? Yeah, I go a yeah. lot now. But when you go, do they still play? Are they playing these trailers? Like the last time I went, no, I, I like, go to Metrograph, so it's mostly classic movies. And okay. they, they play, they, they have film programs, so they'll make a compilation of like, oh, it's uh, whatever, film noir month, and then they'll make, make their own 
two-minute trailer of, of eight film noirs. Okay, so they don't put, like... Because if you go to a normal mainstream movie theater these days, they'll put, like, the actors in before oh, the trailer. Yeah, they'll cheesy. sit down and be like, you know what's really great? Watching a movie in a theater. There's nothing yeah. like it. And there's and always... Like, in, in the U.S., there's that guy from Saved by the Bell, not the main actor, but the other <laughs> yeah, one. He's yeah. like, hey, guys, let's look at some previews. I'm so glad you're here. Isn't this Get fun? Get your popcorn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but, like, the, to me, it's so desperate. And I'm like, I'm all, you sold me. I'm in the goddamn theater. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do? Like, go out yeah. and tell the story about but how I, we all need to go to the theater? I have to say, I, I, I think about this a lot. <laughs> My friend said this thing. It's like, every evening at home, is lost it's like if you're not doing something it's a lost evening and it's i know it's not 100 percent true but i really feel that way when i'm watching a movie at home mm. or binge watching i'm not like oh that was great i'm just like that was a compromise because we didn't have the energy to go out yeah friends of mine set up a theater in their basement that seems to be like you get to a certain i still I, I, <laughs> the best example i have is you know, I'm a big fan of David Lynch's work, and mm-hmm. I've seen Lost Highway many, many times. And I saw it at Metrograph on the big screen, and it was a slapstick comedy. And at home, it's a scary movie. It's yeah. so different. And every time I have a good friend here, and we're kind of like film buddies and go once a week. Marco from Dis, and, and uh, he, he also loves cinema, cinema, and the classic movies. So. We go to MoMA screenings or we go to Metrograph and just every time we're so grateful that that place exists and we're like, oh, it's so great to live in a neighborhood where this exists. And you just come out like you've really done something, even though you just sat in a chair. But mm-hmm. um, so I I think you're always obsessed with macroeconomics. So you're like, no one's mm-hmm. going to the movies anymore. It's like, who fucking cares? I want to go to the movies. Yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. Mm hmm. No, I'm most interested in human behavior. That's my aim. Yeah, that's, I know. You're a sociologist. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so um, do we want to do questions today? We did yeah, three sure. last time, but yeah. the questions keep rolling. We have in. two questions that we can tie in, and it's going to make a cool uh, episode title. So <laughs> uh, let, let's start with the easy one first uh, from Jonas Ersland. And he asks, what's your view on subscription services like Patreon or Instagram subscriptions? How do you predict this field might change in the coming years? Do you subscribe to any online creators? Hope all is well. Jonas Ersland from Norway, currently living in Berlin. Great question. I'm surprised we've never received this question. To be yeah, honest with you. I'm surprised we, we haven't brought it up. Because, because you, uh, you mentioned it. It's like, should we go Patreon? Like every year I'm like, hey, what about this? Should we try this economic model? Blah, blah, yeah. blah. And, you're, and then we're like, no, we don't do this for the money. Every no, single time. <laughs> I, I think I even got an email at some point from Patreon. And they're like, hey, if you want, we can do a call so we can introduce you. It's an exciting new platform. You should do something. Mm-hmm. And then I, I thought about it for a while. And I wanted to do this thing where I would just do nothing. And you could subscribe to that. And I would do nothing for a minute every day. But then I was like, oh, it's this whole... Marina Abramovich vibe. Uh, we don't need more mm, of that. Like you'd be like just staring at the people on the other side. Yeah, or just eating breakfast or something, and then and, uh, and I, I, I don't know. I, I've always just loved the the nature of that. You can look at my work for free. You just gave me a great idea, though. Oh, well, you're welcome. Here's my pitch. Okay, you subscribe to my Patreon, and then I go and use other subscription services for you. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> that would be like. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, we'll stop. Sorry, I was just. I uh, there, there's. I've never thought of it as a performance medium, but of well, course, there we know lots of people who do do performance we, stuff on. Yeah, Patreon. and we also discussed in the past doing. Uh, you remember during the pandemic, we both discussed why are art schools so expensive, and if we would do it for a tenth of the price, six thousand yeah. a year, and you'd have a hundred students, then you have six hundred grand coming in. That's not bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like one of our um, sister podcasts, New Forms, does have a Patreon, right? We were looking at that the other day. New models? Or sorry, new models. Yeah, but the, but my talked... point, as we were discussing this, it's like, do you really want to be on Zoom all day? And that's what the subscription stuff sounds like. It's just more... Yeah, every every time we get ba- we come back to it, we end up re-describing the problems with the creator economy, though. That's what I feel like. And by the way, like I, like that's my day job nowadays, right? It's like... I um, help people monetize their creator practice, but not by making art. And I always find that ironic, right? Like you can't make money doing the thing you love. You have to create like some kind of monetized version of it um, that's not selling it. So in our case, it's like online courses, but Patreon, it's like you see like a Brad Trammell or someone like this one that comes to mind, like start to generate a different type of content. And it almost ends up being this like... um, medium is the message thing for it to fit into a subscription model it needs to like like similar to kickstarter it needs to like be something different but if you look at it from the point of view of podcasts there is a certain Mm -hmm. number where you have that many listeners and then you can choose either ads or subscription those are the two avenues if you've built a large enough so you don't have to change the product you you can still be your audio feed Mm -hmm. it can be exactly the same but once you decide to go members only then you cut your audience in probably a hundredfold smaller and part of I've I've just always been drawn to sharing things for free from the beginning it just always so funny felt you say right. that. Yeah. I was about to jump in but that like a hundred like so I have research insight on this because this is what I like now I, my day job is to study how do these people become successful and a hundred percent of folks that like we just did a study where we looked at like how do creators get successful? And all we just went and talked to people where we looked at we looked at the data and we watched the graph of like success in terms of money. So we, and it was like flat, 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 and then oh, rising, and then oh, rocketing. And we went and talked to those people. Like what happened? And all of those people um, started by giving away something for free, uh, but then and then their audience grew to a point where. They had enough like leads, or like, which is such a horrible word. I hate that word. But they had enough people that were interested in buying something from them. And they call this, have you ever heard of the term value ladder? It's no. another cringeworthy one. No, but, but like, this is, I think a lot of people, this is valuable knowledge. Like, even if you decide not to go in this direction, it's good to hear about it. I don't think it's good. Yeah, I just don't want to come off like um, some kind no, of. No, but like, you're, you're a professional. Like, you, you both know deeply about the arts and you know deeply about. Uh, yeah, fintech okay. and uh, uh, yeah. sales so and all these things. So it's valuable. For, and I'm about to teach a workshop on this actually, just for artists. But like the f- the first thing is you do need an audience. <laughs> so like if you're gonna make money, you do need people who are interested, right? Whether it's making money for your art or tra- or like translating into something different. And then what a lot of people fail to do, and it's even funny because I was having this conversation with, I'm on the board at a gallery in Calgary now, and I was like, there's a little social media report at every board meeting. And in the report, there's like, we have 25 followers on Facebook. There's really crappy numbers. And then it's like, we had 24, we have 24 newsletter signups or something. And I was, the other day I was like, well, how many people are subscribing to the newsletter? And they're like, 400. And I was like, what? 
and the gallery has been in business for like 40 years. But the mm-hmm. reason I was shocked is because like everything you read or any data you look at, email is still the most valuable Email's way to take, convert an audience into a yeah, monetizing yeah. audience. Well, that's interesting. But you get, it's very intimate and people often feel like it's a gift. Like, oh, you, I got something. Yeah. yeah, and so you're supposed to give something for, away for free in exchange for an email. That's the kind of the, the, the cheesy rule, but it, it works. Like people are like, oh, I got something for free. Of course, I'll give you something in return, not money, but I'll give you my email. Then once you have an email, now you have a way to communicate directly with that person. And you're not you're not worried about being uh, hidden in the algorithm, even though now the inbox is also algorithmic with priority inbox and things like that. Yeah, but you can do targeting with emails um, as well. So if you ever you know get into Facebook ads or Google ads, you can upload your email list and then target all those people as well. So it just like it makes everything infinitely easier. Mm. Um, it, it it's interesting. So I want to rewind a little bit to yeah. Web One because email is very Web One. Yeah. Um, and so when I started, I just had a website and I emailed that to a couple of friends. They emailed it to a couple of friends. And then I was like, oh, how do I keep my friends up to date? And I decided, okay, I'll start a mailing list. And it's very modest. It's maybe, it was 100 people and maybe grew to 800. I think it's 800 now. But then I noticed a lot of artists would send emails saying, I have an exhibition in Hamburg. I have an exhibition in Norway. And then you get the email and you can't do anything with that email because 99% of your audience is not in Norway or Germany. Yep. And then a lot of other people would simulate the opening and the event of an opening saying, I made a new net art piece. It's going to open next week. But you're reading the email and you can't do anything. You can't click on it. And you're not going to click it a week later. No, that's bad practice. So... And so I decided right from the start, if I send an email, it has to be net art because then you can experience it directly and it has to be open. And that's always the feeling I had. All that being said, now that... So my audience grew organically just by making content when there wasn't a lot of content. It really, there was no SEO hacks or anything, but it, mm-hmm. I reached an audience of maybe 60 million visits a year to my websites at the peak. Yeah, you were like the most visited artist on the internet. Yeah. I I removed Google Analytics from my site, so I don't even know anymore. And um, I didn't want to deal with GDPR, all that stuff, so just took it off. But um, my point is now I mostly do NFTs, and it it's still everything's available for free. You can view everything, but the interface is somehow a little more intimidating. So a lot of people don't even know what I'm doing because they assume it's NFT is hard to use. It's so that's, and then my old newsletter, I haven't started emailing them about my new NFT releases, even though they're exactly the same as my website. It's just a different interface. So that's a weird thing. Like I don't want to email people that I'm selling something that feels weird. Yeah, I know a lot of creators really struggle with that, but it is the best way to convert. Um, and I used to do it a lot and actually make sales that way through like I've done Kickstarters and stuff, but I had the same queasy feeling as you. And I think it's generally true among artists that we get uncomfortable with this idea of like directly asking for money. Well, but if you were it, selling underwear, no, like no, no, but like, I, I think you're, there is yeah. a, a point to be had that you're develop you're not selling the work because the work is selling okay. There's no problem there. Mm-hmm. What I'm selling is I want to build 
my body of work and I want mm. people to see it. And the audience is not necessarily about numbers, but it's also about I want the right Quality. people to look at this yeah. and, and that they talk to each other and that I'm on their mind and etc. That's it, it, basically the very simple premise is I want to let people know what I'm doing. It's, it's more of an open studio than a sale. And, okay. and that is very important. And that is a bit confusing with the creator economy. Like this podcast is just like, come hang out with us. That's, yeah. that's the feeling. And then once you say, yeah, come hang out with us, but you have to pay. But also I think if we, um, if we pitched this and we were like, you know, over the next seven years, we'll slowly build up to an audience of like 5,000 people, you know, people would think, well, why would you waste your time when you could like generate a million followers but doing, following this formula? I, I think, something? I think you often, this is not a, I'm not this trying is not to me. I'm, I'm not saying no, this no, is no. the thing. But I, no, but I, I see a pattern in the way you see things. So mm -hmm. you often, because you come from a business, you're between business and art. And so your mind goes between those two. And so you often think, I should be on platform XYZ because I read that that has the best effect. Mm -hmm. Right? That's often how you think. But Well, I don't, I don't do that. But No. Yeah. But if you look at an artist like Cos, who's very successful on Instagram. He chooses one. Yeah. Not only that, he's not selling anything on his Instagram. He's just like... Yeah, but this is exactly what I'm talking about. No, right? no. So, but what I'm know. saying is that... You might think like, oh, the data shows that he should have a mailing list and that he should do this and this and this. But he's actually one of the most successful artists in the world. And he makes many folds more than both of us together. Yeah. Um, so following the rules of uh, the creator economy and looking at how it's done or how am I supposed to do a drop? And then you have to post on Monday morning and blah, blah, blah. And when you follow the rules, you've already lost. I think no, I, had an, I had an interesting call with a customer. And the reason, like, I'm 100% with you, by the way. Like, I'm not arguing the other way. And they actually described doing what we're saying, like trying to post stuff on Instagram, buy ads, or, like, get onto podcasts, drum up interest in, like, this Tag lots of people. Yeah, but it didn't work. All the spam, so spam tactics. We, yeah. And this was the most interesting call we had. This person ended up, on, they ended up creating a book. So, they, so they're like, none of this is working. I'm, I'm going to write an e, like an e-book or a book, like a guide. And it was on, like, 3D printing or some kind of CAD software. It was very specialized, very niche. And then they were already part of a community on Reddit. Um, and, you know, a lot of us are already part of communities where we're not trying to sell things, right? And they were really self-conscious. They're like, ugh, I don't want to sell this. I'm just going to give it away for free to that community. And so they gave it away to free, for free to that community. And it was extremely successful. Like the post went viral, so to speak, or whatever. And people started asking, do you have anything else? How can I learn more? And then he was like, oh, well, you could sign up for my course. And but then, then it didn't come off as sales. But that's funny because if you sell a course, then you have a, a lot of obligations that are not making the art. So then you become a teacher, basically. Well, he wanted to become a teacher. But okay. he, like he had this whole vision. But, but I'm, regardless, I'm saying yeah. if, if you look at the example of Brad Trammell and there's other yeah. Joshua Citarella and other people who came from making art and that yeah. wasn't uh, successful financially. And then they went to becoming a commentator and got better at it. And the format yeah. requests like do three minute videos or six minute or whatever. They get really good at it and it ends up you become a, a spokesperson or a pundit or whatever you want yeah. to call it. But 
the visual art thing just goes further and further in the background, which might fit them, might be a better fit. But I, if you ask me, do you want to be in the creator economy? No, and that's exactly yeah. where we end up every time we talk about this, which is the in that hamster wheel. Like that's the, I think that's the terminology we use at work actually, is that creators are generally feel like they're caught on a wheel and they can't stop. Um, and it's but, like an infinite yeah. loop. But what's know? interesting is um, I, when I was making websites before I made objects in physical art, I would always maybe make between four and 20 websites a year. That was always the mm -hmm. number. I don't know why. That's how it went. And some years you make four, some years you make 20. And it, there's no regularity. There was the, like maybe you, you upload five of them in one month and then nothing for six months and mm -hmm. whatever. Then the NFT thing happens and you get excited to produce very quickly because it's so exciting. And then art blocks happened and that was more like, oh, you should do one or two drops a year and really work on them. But I just felt this urge to make much more and then I created my own website where I can mint series. I drop one and then I dropped... And then it's the question, how big is the audience? Like, If I drop too often, will people feel like I'm being pushy, etc. So I do like once every three weeks and then once every two weeks. And now I'm like, why not once a week? Mm -hmm. And it's going fine. But it was kind of, it felt like I was pushing something to people and it, it, they would become exhausted and all that stuff. But it's actually yeah. not true. And so that's the, maybe when you, what I was trying to say is the hamster wheel, I create the hamster wheel because I just have this backlog of unfinished projects unpublished projects that I really want to share. I've always had this very, that's the whole thing. And maybe you have that too. I just have this really strong feeling. I want to share these ideas. I do have it um, from time to time. And I think that's when I end up doing my best stuff because it's, it's accidental, but um, versus like overplanned. That's what I'd worry about with the plan drops and all of this stuff. And like, that's even why I cringe when I say you have to have a value ladder and all this stuff, because I, 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 I loathe the idea that there's a formula to something that I, that comes naturally to me and that I don't, and I don't even have the intention to make money from it, though it'd be nice if it somehow funded itself. Like there's an inherent contradiction, I think, in the creative process that way. Um, for you, it seems like you figured it out in a really sweet way though, where it's like you have to make it and you found a way to monetize it without it feeling like that's what it's about. Um, so I think that's rare among creators that the money part is like second to the creative part when, when there is a financial transaction, right? Like, yeah. so if you're going out there and building like a subscription business, it's really, you know, I like, I liked your idea of doing nothing because it was more about the performance first and then, you know, yeah. And sure. Like, yeah, we'll but, but, but to the question, like, why not start a subscription? It's, I think we're both saying the same thing. It's like, if you go that route, yeah, prepare it's going to change. Take it's going to take a lot of your attention. Like yeah. it, the, the whole format is like, oh, have you tried this and this and this? And have you tried this tactic? And then before you know it, you're making viral content. And Yeah. And I, I'm, I, one thing I find remarkable is like, <clears throat> you know, you would assume that like, you know, you, you always say on the podcast, there's more artists than ever, right? Like, but let's take music as an example. The internet made it possible for you to launch a career and have someone on the other side of the world, hear your music and maybe even get to go on tour there. But musicians, I guess musicians have always struggled, but every musician now cannot make, except for maybe like 
0.111% can make a career from... That's funny, because I hear the opposite often, but it's... From musicians? Yeah, but it's not bands. It's electronic musicians, and they're like, oh, it's great. I just bring a thumb drive, and I yeah. I get paid 8000 8, to DJ, and uh, or whatever. I don't know, but uh, it seems like a very profitable model compared to the touring band. Well, I think the, the other one that I've heard recently is like... Um, and there's reason there's an actor's strike right now is that in the streaming world, like actors are not making what are called residuals, like, and they're sometimes getting pennies for per stream. Like when you watch like, I don't know, some Netflix show, the actors in the show might get like a penny, a check for like 40 cents or something like that. Yeah. And, um, that's not just from you. That's like for the whole month. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know. It just seems like, um, this I like the idea that the world has infinite access to infinite amounts of content we thought would create infinite abundance, right? But it's actually sliced it into these yeah, like, and, and we tiny thought it slivers. would create a lot of independent filmmaking and things like that. And then um, mm-hmm. Marvel is actually dominating. And the thing that's on my mind now, and I know you don't want me to bring this up though, is like that you know AI is is going to flood even more content like that's generic into the system I, I i'm hopeful that people do in like i, I think people i do think i think in any genre yeah there will be uh people that use the tools better than others yeah so yeah, yeah. if you have a lot of studios using ai some will do it better than others so there will always be a quality selection a by the point. audience but what you could do theoretically is if you could generate 1500 variations of a movie quickly leak them on social media and see who likes it best like it's hard to compete with that as a human well i was talking to my sister-in-law she works in special effects and cinema and we were talking about this topic and she was like yes yes of course like we all know that within a few years there will be no human like productions (laughs) and i was like what she's like oh yeah 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 well just like everything will happen in ai from like the script to the cinematography to the actors because we'll just have 3D scans of the actors. Everyone knows that's where we're heading. We talk about it all the time. But it's like 10 years, maybe 15 years out or something. Yeah. Um, I always think if, if AI will do digital art better than I can, then I'll have to become a painter. But I think... That's when, the when only I, solution, because then you, it's still question. hand done, so you yeah. can't compete with that. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, except to say that I think that you would succeed because you're always doing something unique with the media, right? Like you're always, or the medium, you're always like turning it on its head or thinking about what it means. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. So yeah. I think, it, I think if you, that shows that you have mastery over the medium, but that's uh, usually like what you're yeah. talking about. I think the answer to the subscription thing for oh, yeah. both of us <laughs> is, is that it's not for us. And for some people do the question, do we subscribe to any? I do subscribe to one. What do you subscribe to? Um, it's just like a Patreon for a residency that I um, contributed to years ago in Norway, the one I always complain mm. about. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like, I, I still care about helping I subscribe out. to DIS, formerly DIS magazine, yep. DIS.art, because they're my friends, basically. That I, I feel like that's a big part of it. You feel like subscribing because they're your friends. Yeah, exactly. I want to support my friends. And I think yeah. when I when this whole creator economy thing got started, I always go back to Kickstarter as like one of the first companies that came out and said, hey, like there's another way of doing this. How many um, Kickstarter projects have you supported through the years? Probably like six or so. Yeah, maybe three for me. Do I remember any of the products? I mean, uh, I've Culture also Sports? hosted two. Did you I've done three myself. One? Which one? 
culture sport. John oh, Michael yeah, Bowling. I did support that. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I still wear the T-shirt. Uh, it's, it, but, I mean, it seems like we're all connected on a computer and we want to support interesting content. And it seems so logical that it would work, but it's tough. Well, there's not infinite amounts of money in the hands of people that just want to help their friends. So, um, yeah, it, but what's weird is, is also that the, the binge watching and the shitty TV series, everyone knows it's crap. And then they're like, oh, I wish I had time to read a book. And it's like, yeah, you do have time. You're just watching shitty content all day. But it's people can't fight convenience. Yeah, I do read books. But maybe that's a good segue yeah. into like, you don't have infinite time on this earth. <laughs> yeah. so we have another question <laughs> question number two from flora miranda so I'll, I'll read the question and we'll have to do it pretty quick uh well, she has a morbid a, yeah. question did you ever think of what you would do with your art after you die what do other artists do families of dead artists funds uh, estates all this kind of thing um and then she says coming from fashion i'm used to the thought that someone else can take over my company once i'm dead how does that work for artists yeah, can you imagine to think differently? Can you imagine that someone continues your art after you die? I, someone who you choose to continue your work. There I are a few always, examples. I always of this. think that life is like a giant to-do list, and then when you die, finally you don't have to do anything. So I would like to take a vacation, then, and I don't want to have a to-do list after my death. But of course, there are lots of examples of artists that have foundations after they die that continue their production. Sure, but I don't want to do like, that. or maybe not lots of examples, but Warhol would be one of them. Yeah, yeah, I understand, but it's not something that I want to do. Mm -hmm. It's like there's enough to do already in life. I don't want to think about the afterlife. It's just... Well, I think it's also funny coming from the last conversation um, that Flora compares the artist to a company, like owning a yeah. fashion company, or an artist owning a company. Artists rarely will actually compare themselves to a business unless it's conceptually aligned, like Warhol, um, like the factory or something, uh, even if they are running a real business. Well, it's, it's like uh, the band Kiss, that they always wear makeup. Part of the idea was that after they die, other people can play their role with the makeup and you'd hardly notice. So it would be like Mickey Mouse at, at Disneyland. Mm. You don't know who's inside the puppet. That's really interesting. I, I wrote an idea down in my like sketchbook yesterday, which was like, you know how they have like camera kit or AR kit, like Apple releases kits? Yeah. I was like, why don't I release a kit for myself? Like so that Jeremy anyone kit? could be me. Yeah, Jeremy kit. Um, but it would give you all the material to recreate my career. <laughs> it would be a very lightweight kit. Hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Including I, all of the, the, you know, the steps necessary to blind yourself. <laughs> I mean, I really, I think in the end, work survives because it's of interest to other people. And so it's not up to the artist to enforce that. It's just the work has to appeal to people and that's how it will live on. And the artist should make the work purely yeah, as, as, as much as possible to, to fulfill their own interests and to fulfill their own curiosity and follow your own curiosity. And then it's not up to you. After that, just let it go. I think that's a really good point. And it reminds me that like um, I, a lot of people will talk about how an artwork does live past the artist because it gets reinterpreted by each successive generation of people that look at it, right? We don't look at the Mona Lisa the same way they did during Leonardo da Vinci's time. So it means something different because context around the artwork changes. And so you could argue that society actually continues to uphold the work and 
and the artist and they are the artist, right? Like, yeah, uh, that, that would be also the postmodern position, which is the author has, is dead, right? Like that's the, the concept. But that's, that's also death of uh, the author. There's the idea that communism failed because it promised the uh, paradise within five years. Mm-hmm. And Christianity succeeded because it promises li- uh, paradise after you die. Yeah. And that makes art sort of a religious thing where there's always the hope, you know, no one found me, but after I die, after then, I they'll, die. then they'll understand. And that gives you an incredible amount of hope. You're like, yeah, it's not working out, but maybe in 10 years or 20 years or 40 years or after I die, it's not relevant if that it happens in my lifetime. I'm going to keep going. And I think that gives artists a lot of purpose. It's some people, but it has this religious spiritual quality of like, this is this is beyond me. This is a grand narrative through the generations. Uh, we're searching for aesthetic truth on a higher plane, and uh, the work is going to find its purpose. And all, it's kind of mystical. And mm-hmm. and I think it, in that sense, it's very different than saying uh, I'm starting. A, a, a distribution company for plumbing supplies and you don't think, Oh, I hope this works after I die. Yeah. I think that that's, that is definitely the mythology and it honestly, like, I, I mean, there's countless examples for, you know, generations to go into any museum and the work lives on and it has, and people talk about it and they reinterpret it. One th- part of Flora's question that I just noticed that we, you know, doesn't really function for, people like you and I maybe is like technical obsolescence. So you're making no, this I work. I disagree there. Well, I don't know. Like you're making the work. No, you know, I th- actually think there's a higher chance of it surviving than physical work. How, why is that? Because it doesn't decay? Yeah. And you can make copies and then chat GPT can update it for whatever. It, like That's one thing where AI will be very helpful. So mm-hmm. I think that's actually the opposite. I think physical works can disappear. They can burn. They can get damaged. They're hard well, to how many sh- how many CD-ROMs have you played recently? Like I know, I but you, once you, it's on the network, yeah, what you just put your whole body of work on GitHub and it, it'll be fine. As long as it's distributed across multiple servers and that there's not like yeah, but I, I I wrote this short text about it, but I said that a physical work of art is at its best in terms of visual quality the moment it leaves the studio, then it's mm-hmm. done. And then the rest of preservation is to prevent decay. That's like the atmosphere will attack this work. Angry people will attack this work. We have to protect it. And I think digital work is the opposite. It's display technology improves over time. Graphic cards improve over time. So the work intensifies over time. The colors get better. The resolution gets better. I know that's different for video, but I'm thinking from my point of view. Sure. Um, Hence... Vector graphics, scalable, all that stuff. And so that's the one thing that I think is actually the least of the problems. Well, that, that would only, that is only true for a specific type of digital work uh, that code you're referring based. to. But even code-based, like if there's dependencies and they're not packaged with the well, asset. I no, know you are doing that. But I like, think it's fine. There's tons of people that no. have like an, a Mac mini in their no, house that, that has that, the artwork on it. And it's like never going to run again. But that goes back to the, is it of interest to anyone? Well, then that's a different point. Like, yeah, but think of all the classic video games that people keep alive and all the old screensavers. There's all these communities of fans because they love it. And it's the love of the work that keeps it alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if, I, if you were to go back to analog electronics and some of the... There, was a, there are a few organizations in the U.S. and, and in 
Europe, but they would admit that like we've lo- already lost like 90% of the, there were all these like various like video synthesizers and special artists, like bespokely made artist devices used for performances and things. Yeah, those like, are physical Nam works. Pike had tons but those are physical stuff. works. Physical works, but they that also generate Yeah. No, no, mm. that proves my point. It's like once it's born digital, fully digital, it's a completely different technique. No, I'm talking about the space between like fully analog and fully digital, like the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Space. But but yeah. I'm saying physical work is more risky. And people always think like, oh, digital work is fragile, but I think it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because like my brother called me just before I came on air and he was like, hey, do you have an old like DVI camera? I want to transfer some old videos we have to digital. And I was like, and then he was like, can you make sure that the, I was like, yeah, I have a couple cameras. And he's like, can you make sure that they're, that they work? And I was like, yeah, I guess I have to make sure that they work. So I did pop an old cassette in from 2002 <laughs> and, and it played fine. But I, as I was putting it in, I was like, I don't know if this is going to even play. Like, how do I know? Like, I felt like, um, I hadn't turned the machine on in 20 years. It was a, a moment of, I remember being at Syracuse university And we had this like video lab, like in the basement or whatever, where I worked most days. And there were these tapes and we were trying to transfer them to DVD, which seems ridiculous now. But I remember one tape in particular, the chair of the department and I were doing this together. And he's like, now this tape, and he like blew off some dust. He's like, we can only play this one more time (laughs) Mm. and then it's going to disintegrate. And I, you know, like when you have that experience, you're like, I I get it, but I feel like I feel like people are so obsessed with uh, um, the narrative that everything's gonna that there's problems. I feel like in academia, you get rewarded for finding problems, not for finding solutions. Well, no, so my, everyone, I mean, yeah, it, yeah, people clap when you say like everything's gonna go bad, and in a, in actual reality, it's like all these old things surface on YouTube, and all these old softwares get uh, there's emulators. Like I googled an old work of mine, and it was alive on the internet archive running in an emulator in the browser. I didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's well, there. I, mean, it's, I think yeah. the internet is actually the opposite where it's like, oh, there's some really embarrassing stuff. How do I get it off? And you can't, yeah, you lost true. your password to your live journal and all your cringe posts are still there. I think it's just because I've come from like, I did this thing at Zedcam and Pompidou and both, the Pompidou one was interesting because it was about No, no, let, let me ask you this. Which of yeah. your digital works has been lost? Um, the things I have to that do were, like an were made on the computer, yeah, like has been completely lost. Yeah, because I understand videotapes disintegrate, but yeah. which of your digital works did you lose because you forgot to upload it to Dropbox or something? Oh, there are there are some examples. Um, so I had a collective early in my uh, career, like it was called Six Forty Four Eighty. We did video only, and we did a lot of online video experiments. This is like between 1998 and 2002, so just aged myself. Um, and we had a website, 64480.com, and one and it had a lot of, like, specifically bespoke things I wrote in PHP. Like, I, I would, like, do these little experiments. I, I felt like I was better at coding back then than I am now. And, and other people contributed from the collective. But one year I forgot to update the domain, and we lost everything. Mm. And, there was, and none of us had any backups of any of the files. Yeah. Um, and I know, I don't know if that's ever happened. Has that ever happened to any of your websites where someone didn't update the domain, but you had backups, I assume. Like well, that. I definitely have all the files and 
so far no domains have been lost but even if mm -hmm. the domain would be lost I could just um, host a copy of it and say this is an archive mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know I, th I feel like but what's interesting to me about the whole discussion is also like is it important for things to be archived or is it better to let go and that's exactly what I wanted to talk about yeah. like from so from my perspective like I think I've brought this up like now a million times in the podcast like starting from Fluxus the con like digital artists and we're well, not digital they're electronic artists that picked up video cameras and electronic media in the first place we're coming from this place of we don't want this to yeah. live on. We don't because performance art, which came out of Fluxus, was about the experience in real time. It wasn't about a year later or a month later or a week later. It was about right now, um, and you can't have right now tomorrow because it's a different thing. No, you know, or but, we but talk about Chris Bird and not documenting the work. I, for that I understand that very well, yeah. and that's exciting. And there's when you decide to not focus on things being permanent that gives a sense of freedom and spontaneity. Mm -hmm. The downside of that is that the economics are much harder and that means the artist has to have a job on the side and then... Or a subscription yeah. where they do nothing with <laughs> exactly. you every week. <laughs> no, but if we look at you as an example, yeah. you were like, I don't want to compromise my art so I'll make money otherwise. Yeah, that's right. And that's an honorable strategy, but... It, I don't know. It... The, no, I, I think it is because we know a lot of painters they choose the medium of painting because it has this feeling of security. Like the pigment stays on the canvas for 200 years, it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But it's not very experimental, it's not very avant-garde, and it's just like, it's painting, it's fine. But then the problem is you don't have enough time to make your art. That's really the problem. Yeah, that, that ends up being like part of the problem for sure. And so the painter has a lot of time to work on the paintings because there's this economic structure, there's the promise of the afterlife and then all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, when my brother called me, I was like, he's like, when is this camera film? And I was like, oh, 2002, 2003, 2000. And he was like, oh, great. What a great year. And I was like, 2003 was the best year of my life. Like I quit my job and I focused 100% on video art. I went to Syracuse and did my started my master's there. Every day I woke up and I thought, how am I going to change the world with video mm -hmm. and that's what i that was my purpose every single day and but in, i was like I, I still think world. at that moment when you you had this courageous art year and you you had a lot of confidence i still think the feeling that you were changing things that would live on after you died that yeah. is part of that inspiration that like, was that's true if it yeah. really was something where you're like i'm gonna do stuff but nobody's ever gonna notice you wouldn't have felt the same I think, you know, what's funny about that, though. I think you're right. So good point. But I would say, like, you probably felt the same way. I felt that more when I was starting my career than later in my career. Let me put it that way. Like, um, because at some point it became more meaningful to do things for myself than for some kind of like long term legacy. Well, like, it, it, it's more what I felt was this whole idea of the Internet being a new dimension and we're all explorers in this new dimension. Mm -hmm. Then that gave me a lot of courage and that tied to art is also very inspiring and it yeah. gives a lot of drive. But I have to say, I kind of lost the the focus on the digital and I was still making it, but not interested in publishing it. And then when the blockchain happened, it was like complete... Reinvigorated it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like in, in so much as like video is not, is like from my perspective, it's been... Exp I mean, I'm not saying that you can't, there's not more to explore there. Well, it's funny because no. there's more moving image than ever. 
Yeah, and there's like AI moving images like and really TikTok exciting to watch and right now. Yeah, and TikTok is yeah. totally that thing where you, you don't worry about it living forever. But No, but what happened in my head at that time, like with TikTok and as, as things came on, I've talked about this with AR, is as the number of people participating increased, my feeling that I had anything to contribute diminished. I'm just being honest, like, because I'm like, wow, there's so many, you know, as my awareness. Well, that's what I'm saying. It was stuff. like this new dimension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the dimension got really crowded. Yeah, exactly. I like I like being first. I like novelty. I, I yeah. will admit that um, yeah. that's inspiring, and that and then I think maybe it does come back to the self. But it is interesting that so if you if you like non crowded empty new spaces, but let's say that let's get on threads. Let's say that the blogosphere is kind of empty now. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like oh let's go back to that thing that was alive once and now it's kind of empty and let's go to this dead mall. No, you need other people to be coming along like <clears throat> in yeah. some way, I guess, but. Um, which comes back to our audience point from earlier uh, in the subscription thing. Like I did want to share because I did want to elicit a reaction. Like I don't, I can't lie about that. Maybe, maybe you had a different intention, but it feels good to get a reaction, even good, even bad reactions Mm -hmm. um, in a new space because you're like defining this, this world, this new world and new space. And I always got a great deal of satisfaction, like you said, around those novel new spaces and like, for me, it was about breaking the rules and being a bit of a maverick, I think, because my teachers would be like, well, we've been doing video arts in 1974. And I'd be like, fuck that. It's digital now. Watch yeah. this. I'm going to make my face you swap with some tapes. Tom Get Cruise. Get out of town. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what it is. Move aside, gatekeeper. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's uh, but real. I, you know, I mean, yeah, you need yeah. that kind of energy in it, uh, to, because it's a ridiculous proposition. Yeah. To, mm-hmm. to do art is ridiculous so you have to have some kind of bigger purpose yeah do, were any of members of your family that are now on uh past uh were they are any of my members of my family on patreon <laughs> well and no, no. i was gonna ask if if you know because speaking of life you know their careers after death like were any of your family oh, ever artists before my I think my grandfather on my mother's side was a photographer, so there were a lot of nice photographs. And he had a dark room, and he would even... This was before you could buy... He would make his own photo paper and his own film. Like, this more... When we were doing developing film in the dark room at art school, everything was already planned. But back then, it was like, you're grinding your own chemicals and silver and whatever. Mm-hmm, so that, yeah. that's like 100 years ago. That's the only example that I know other than do you that. Have, do you have any of the photos? Uh, I have digital copies of some of them, but it, it, they're just like, you know, back then you would make five photos a year. So you made every, every photo really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the type of photos. But other than that, like some farmers in the family, I don't recall any of them. And your dad was a painter artistic... or is a painter still. My, he stopped painting, but, uh, yeah. he, he plays guitar more now, but trying to think yeah my mom was into architecture and my dad into painting so but further back i don't know yeah i mean my father um you know is not well now and um i think he's getting older and but he wasn't an artist he was in advertising but he, yeah, yeah but he did a lot of i would call him an artist like i want to do an exhibition of his work because there's a bunch of like iconic stuff and he but he has so little ego about it I've asked him like, "Hey, Dad, would you be interested in like me showing this stuff?" And he's like, "No, it's meaningless to me." <laughs> like, hmm. uh, and I've asked him. I asked him this before. You know, he's mentally unwell now. But like, and he he was like, 
so detached from it. I found it like he he liked to tell a story about it, but the story was more interesting to him than the work itself. To yeah. him, it was just like transactional. Well, I do understand the feeling that you're into the doing and not into all the blah blah. And so mm-hmm. I really love making exhibitions because it's a chance to try something. Yeah. But I'm not that interested in other people making exhibitions for my glory or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just interested in doing it because I'm like, oh, I have this idea that I want to try. Do you ever fantasize about that? You know, like you're in your 60s or 70s. You have a studio visit with the curator from MoMA. And they're like, we want to do a retrospective. Oh, I definitely want to do the, the big show Guggenheim show. If I walk through the Guggenheim, I'm like, oh, yeah, like. All the moving images on that spiral yeah, is going to be great. Great example. You don't have to be 70 to get that. So no. like, but that studio visit where they're like, show us everything you've ever made. We want to tell the real story. <laughs> yeah, but it, I definitely want to do lots of museum shows. But I, I also noticed doing the museum show this year, it's a lot of work and it also takes away from creative time. So yeah. you have to be careful at the same time. Well, those types of shows typically happen at a stage of, like those types of retro, historic retrospectives at a stage of career that's late stage. So you you might be making less or, or making bigger yeah. works. I think um, I'm going to make more and more. I'm more productive <laughs> now than ever, so I don't see. Well, you I, remember when I met you, my expression, I'm going to make more work of less value yeah. faster. So that well, could I'm going to make more work of more value. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm just feeling great about my work. I'm having a lot of fun and the... I, I don't believe in these cliches of like, oh, when you're older, you're less creative or you slow of course, down. Of it's like there's, there's no, if you look at architects, my mom went to visit Oscar Niemeyer. He was 104 and he was more popular than ever because for developers, if you tie his name to a project, it's, it's gold. So yeah. he's, he's not alive anymore, but he was still making buildings at age 104. So. Well, Louise Bourgeois was right up until 100 too. Yeah. So, so why wouldn't you shoot for the best? Why would you settle for the worst? Yeah. Yeah, no, Louise Bourgeois is definitely my uh, hero in that sense. Yeah, and so, I don't know, just to me, I, the chance that you're relevant after you die is is probably tied to how much fun you had in your life. So if you had the most fun and you were just making a lot of stuff because it was really fun, that's the biggest chance. Worrying won't help you. And like, Having fun and exploring will help. So that's well, helping others also. Some like if you're Mother Teresa, you didn't make anything; you just helped people. No, no, but we're talking about artists and the yeah, legacy. sure, yeah. But I consider myself Mother Teresa. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Are, would you do a Mother Teresa performance? Like, I, I'm the I'm the Mother Teresa of. I'll AR. just be lying on a on the ground on a on some hay, sleeping. Yeah, with like a sheep <laughs> in your arms, like a little lamb. Yeah. All right. Are well, you Are you uh, planning to do any performances in New York? in the next few months? Um, I, I mean, I have no plans. If someone would like to invite me, I'll make a plan. But um, Or I could invite myself somewhere. If maybe we could do one in your apartment. Yeah. Yeah, let's uh, figure it out. Okay. Okay. Deal. Deal. <laughs> uh, that would be fun. Yeah, so we have a field recording from Peary Quick. I, I don't have his original email here next to it, but it, I think it's an organ. But I'll put a, the description in the show notes kind of appropriate to have an organ after that discussion death and subscriptions this is the sound of subscription of of someone subscribing yeah